0: Hi, I'm David O'Hare and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molli, your host. I've taken a few weeks' breaks. It's been a busy couple of months with the French Open, trip to Greece, Wimbledon, our Sabres finally landed and finally shipped, were sold out. And I'm just really glad to be back recording on the podcast. And today I speak to a good friend of mine who's been on the show before, Dave O'Hare. He was previously on the show and we he was talking about getting a, a coaching role at a university in the States. And that was just before COVID and then through visa problems. He went back on the tour and he tells us all about that right now. He's the traveling coach of the world number one doubles team with Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram. And he tells us all about that, what he's learned along the way. It's really interesting. Dave's a great guy. And I'll also include a link to the previous episode with Dave if you want to find out more about him. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, Slinger, who make the awesome portable ball machine. If you want to know more about it, just send me a message or you can check out slingerbag.com throughout the show. Dave mentioned some previous guests such as Louis Kaye such as his own episode and more. I'll include a link in the show notes to check out all those fantastic episodes. Okay, here's Dave. Welcome back to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you home. You tell us all about your Grand Slam experiences now in a few minutes. But first, the last time you are on the podcast was pre-COVID, didn't exist. Yeah. And you were waiting on a visa to go to the States. So yeah. tell us what's happened
0: so I suppose, yeah, since then, I stopped with Rajiv and Joe back in, yeah, just at the O2, just after the O2 02 in 2019 and had a visa pending to go back to the States to be assistant coach in the college system over there. Just a lot of drawn out requests for further evidence. And it took, yeah, the best part of seven, eight months and culminated in me being denied a visa. Yeah, come end of, end of January, early Feb. So again, pre kind of lockdowns and whatever else so that was the first major challenge I suppose in my life you know because in, in November I was at a great junction between you know potentially staying on with Joe and Rajiv or going and having like a little bit more routine life and being based somewhere and and college coaching is it's kind of a nice little sweet spot in in tennis i think just the level's fun and and that environment is great to be part i certainly loved it as a player so i was really curious if if as a coach it would kind of evoke the same emotions from me or whatever so so yeah i kind of had built up such a unicorn and that's ultimately what took me from the tour myself in 2018 as i thought that that position was going to open up in the summer of 2018 So I kind of had a a dodgy ankle, you know, tore my medial lateral ligaments in January 2018, and then the position looked like it was going to open up, and then last minute it fell through, and then, you know, that's when I sidestepped to coaching on the tour with Bambo, which afforded me the opportunity with Joan Rajiv. And then at that time, during Wimbledon 2019, that's when 100% the... The coach had left and that's when my visa process had started that july so so yeah so that's been the the update so then after obviously covid hit and and i was a little bit lost and didn't really know what to do and was very fortunate to get back on the tour with mitch Kruger. so i did it just over a year with mitch Kind of tail end of last year, Rajiv and Joe reached out and were interested if if I'd be keen to yeah to travel this year with them so. Started up in, yeah, at the ATP Cup just in January.
1: Well, for those that don't know much about Dave, we do have another podcast episode where you tell us your life story. Yeah. And up to that <laughs> point, up to the point, you we were planning to go to state, So I yeah. will link to that. Okay. Uh, we don't need to go through that now. It's, it's one of the better episodes. I will say that. Oh, so, thanks very much. But so tell me, so you start working with Mitch Kruger. Yep. Yeah. What, what was like, you know, a lot of your experiences in doubles. Uh, I know you do work with some singles guys as well, but how is that, first of all, different to working with, doubles, was it a challenge for you?
0: It was a challenge and I think I was pretty fortunate and how it all came about was I tried to be productive during COVID and and put all my learnings down on, on paper and, and emailed it to a few different people and one of the coaches was Brad Stein and Brad was kind of consulting with Mitch and, and he was one that connected us so I kind of just I got to know him pretty well just from being on the tour, a couple of coffees here and there, and shoot this your way and let me know what you think. And I kind of just sparked, you know, a couple of days in the bounce where we'd jump on the phone for an hour and a bit at a time and he'd send over his stuff, I'd come back with this. And, yeah, and so we just kind of like-minded chat. And, and yeah, he, he got me involved with Mitch, which which was a challenge for sure because you're kind of, you know, you're obviously high standards for Mitch and you're kind of saying, oh, no, you need to do this. And then I was like, Jesus, if only I could have done that as a a singles player, whereas at least to some point I had experienced those feelings or executed to some level you know, to, to a professional standard on the double side, whereas singles, I was nowhere near the level that... Well,
1: that it just jumping in here, what are those things that you could have done differently that maybe somebody else can do differently today?
0: Well, I, d- you just, just, I think believing myself, just trusting how I, how I saw the game. and And I think the one great asset that doubles coaches or doubles players maybe have is we bring such a specific approach to each practice. And it's so related to our game style. And and you can recreate these kind of game-specific situations. Now, granted, it's a lot easier to do it in doubles than it is singles. But I think having that sort of approach, bringing that in to, to a singles mindset is actually hugely beneficial. So I really believe in that. And it was just my first event with Mitch was actually the French Open. And, and you know, what it's like at the French Open, qualies, it's an absolute war zone trying to get a half an error court or an error court and you're sharing and this, that and the other. But just coming from the kind of practices that I'd been so accustomed to with Joan Rajiv, where it was, you know, we're analyzing matches and collecting data and, you know, we know what areas we need to prove and it might be like tactical and, and opponent related, what we want to brush up on going into you know our next round or whatever it may be um, but there's generally like pre-planned session and g- coming from that environment into just like half court at the french open for like you know an hour session in the morning an hour in the afternoon and i was just like you know what i, I think we can do something you know i was like i'll give you an hour of that and you can have your rhythm and your feel good and, and that's fine but like give me an hour in the afternoon where we can kind of like address something related to your game that's a bit more specific and really try and develop and improve some components of your game so that's kind of where i think the doubles mindset or attribute as a coach maybe could be beneficial for singles players just trying to keep it a bit more structured at times now it can't be all structured you know and i i I don't want i would never want mitch to like or anyone that i work with to like not express themselves you know and and to be rigid in a style of play if you feel good and and you feel like you're executing, you go for it but i think there's real comfort at times to have somewhat of a blueprint to like you know four all 30 all and if you're kind of like okay maybe i'll just let the ball speak to me and yeah. you know you know stick to my my base plan or whatever that may be then that's quite comforting
1: well, what's it like as a coach up there when whether singles or doubles where they're just not following the game plan they're just free just Playing it as it is, like,
0: well, yeah. I mean, you're. I mean, it's. You know, you're obviously frustrated for them. You know, they're the ones that are, that are having to go out and in between the lines, and it's it's a war. You know, especially in, in singles. You know what the guys are doing. You uh, know all the sacrifice that all the teams make, and 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 everyone deserves <laughs> to be out there fighting. But invariably, for me, I always look back and like shit. What could I have done better? How could I have prepared them better? How could I have, you know, where is my wrongdoing in this? What, what what were the faults? And I guess that's just maybe not everyone's that way, but certainly I feel I have a strong connection with all the people that I've played with, so or coached to this point. So I kind of like shit. You know, I feel for them, and and I kind of. I'm always quick to maybe judge myself and how I could have better prepared them. But albeit, that they, they, you know, I think they... We try our best to separate, particularly with the guys now, like the, the kind of performer self. So like tennis aside and how are, you know, how is your energy? And we talk a lot about like our non-negotiables and the attributes and, and the roles that we play to bring to the team. And then, and, you know, we kind of... We separate that from just the level. And, and if all our... Controllables aren't met, then there's not much point in talking about the tennis. So, so we kind of fraction it out that way a little bit.
1: And tell me, what what sort of team did Mitch have? I know with Junior Rajiv, which we'll talk about in a while, that they've a big, they've a good, solid yeah, team. Great team, yeah. What was it like? Come from? I think Mitch had a much smaller team to a much bigger team. Like, yeah. How do you? Is it more work for you? Is it less fun, or is it uh, more challenging?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of both. I think. We're obviously at the minute with you know Joe being the position that he's in and Rajiv being the position that they're in they get a lot of support from from the LTA and and a lot of you know analytics and data and Dartfish which is a program that kind of collects matches and whatever on opponents or is all charted so that kind of makes the scouting a great deal easier for me I can kind of filter through a match and look at specific return or specific, whatever it may be i can filter through that and and that's fantastic resource to have whereas with mitch you know it was kind of just a lot of me trying to you know get some some data on you know challenger tv or yeah. you know, at live stream when it was on live stream and and just get a get a feeling for the opponent and and yeah i mean that was that was a challenge but again i was fortunate in that you know, I mentioned Brad and and Louis Kaye, and and I've had great mentors in. And Mitch is another long long standing coach. A guy called Dave Licker who's done Actually, I think his he coaches this live Hove Hovid. I'm not sure how to pronounce her second name, but she just won Junior Wimbledon.
1: Oh, she is based out of Dallas. the Taylor Dent Academy. Oh, is
0: she? Okay, yeah. well, he was with her at the French Open, so he's had some help. Yeah. So, so yeah, so so t- t- you know, a lot of experience in Dave, a lot of experience in Brad Stein. So. I generally, there's good streaming communication between all three of us and kind of getting Mitch ready because, you know, you're kind of going straight into the deep end of a Grand Slam <laughs> yeah. and I don't know Mitch all that well, albeit yeah. I was kind of familiar with him from my days on the tour and, and he would have been playing singles at the same events. So I kind of, I knew of him and I've had one or two dinners with him and, and whatever else, but I didn't really know him or I didn't know his game. So I caught him at a, an exciting time where he made a, a big change in his game and it was just kind of about you know make, making sure he believes in that and you know he, he's doing really well he just won his first round uh he beat him around tim van Rithoven he and yeah, he's, he's doing quite well so mitch took him out there in in newport so great to see so shout out to
1: mitch before we move on to your current job yeah what one thing did you learn from working with mitch that stands out the most
0: i guess just i mean loads but i think as i said i alluded to just like Believing that the way I see the sport and in addressing these kind of you know your game-based approach to your addressing your strengths and and mastering a few related to your game style is is the best way to go forward to try and really you know because it's really hard you know there's a lot of really good tennis players so if you try and copy you know I think you need to be maybe staying true to yourself and try and improve your strengths and, and yeah express yourself out there I think that's probably the best way to get. The best from you
1: in a controlled environment. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: sometimes. I mean, yeah. I think if there's one advice, I think I even maybe said this in the last one. It's just like, just get out and hit twenty offensive forehands, or, you know, or whatever it may be. I think that's one thing that I found myself talking a lot about with players that I work with back in Dublin or on the road. You know, I think. Aggressive is is a heavily used word, and I don't think it actually accurately represents what we want to get from our players. You know, I think aggressive to me kind of seems a bit rash and rushed and not in control, whereas like offensive. Just explain
1: offensive a bit more there for somebody who's come from the like for aggressive is like big serve big forehand point one you know yeah I
0: I mean offensive is the same right I, I think it's the same but there's just there's maybe an element of of a bit more precision with that you know I think from you know the bits that I've done on tour and I look back on my own tennis journey and and my fallings and shortcomings and I think one thing that situational awareness like understanding actually what situation you're in in the point and labeling it actually helps you know far too often I was out of position trying to hit an offensive <laughs> shot It's like what are you doing you know and I think in a lot of like squad culture where you get like 12 plus players you know over a bay of courts like those shots are made then and there and it's almost like congratulated and it's like he's the hero he made an amazing yeah. low percentage shot and it's like actually that's the total wrong shot. Like that shouldn't be encouraged.
1: You know what I mean? Like
0: So I think understanding that actually your best chance in the percentage wise is to, you know, get back neutral or defensive or offensive and understanding those roles, I think is quite important.
1: Obviously, I'm sure some players can do that a bit naturally. That's just a game style. It's just what it is and they're lucky, but can it be coached? I
0: think so. I think that's where... I go back to my experience on the tour and once I got exposed to a little bit of Louis Calle's, again, that blueprint and understanding, you know, I think if you can take shot selection out of decision time, then I think execution has a better chance of increasing. So, you know, having these plays that you know you're going to run at important points in the match, you know, that's something that... We'll often talk about going into a match is, you know, where are we going to serve and what are we are going to look to do? That'll be a big part of my scouting going into any match would be like, you know, what situation we're going to put our opponents in that they're not comfortable, that they're going to have to execute in order to beat us. You know, we want to take their strengths away from them. So where's our serving targets on a 30-all point or what we're going to look to do, okay? We likes to pull it line, okay? So we, maybe we'll play regular or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. So we'll take the target away from, so you'll have to go cross to avoid, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah.
1: And it, but it allows you, if you have a plan, it allows you to be more analytical then, at the end of it saying, okay, here's the plan. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it also helps because, like, we've all been out there and it's so hard to remain objective as a tennis player, right, you're so caught up in your emotions. And invariably, anytime I've watched myself back and I thought I was particularly poor or particularly good, invariably, like I was somewhere in the middle. Anytime I thought I had really good energy and I was really vibing and I played well, actually, it looked much the same as when I was <laughs> playing bad, you know, but but then I have these amazing perceptions of how bad I was and how poor I looked and da 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 So, so I think having a blueprint and a plan and if you have someone there watching that can hold you accountable to that is maybe the best way to try and improve.
1: There's nothing worse than a coach telling you off like why didn't you do this and ask the questions and it's tough but tell me so when did the opportunity come around to work with Joe and Rajiv for this? So that
0: that kind of just happened at the the tail end of last year so it would have been kind of November and once they finished up at the O2 I think was when Joe had reached out and we kind of started Chatting then and there. So, yes. Yeah, so obviously, I was kind of keen. It's kind of come full circle in, in a way. I think at that, you know, point in time back in, in November and 19, I think I, pr- I would have rather, I recognized that the guy, you know, I think I'm even on the podcast saying that they'll probably win a couple of yeah. slams. And sure enough, you know, a couple of weeks later, there they are yeah. winning Australia. So, so I, I believed a lot in the team and I felt like we'd made some good inroads you know, our last few months together. So I recognised there was huge potential there, but I was going back to University of Memphis where I went and I've got a great relationship with the head coach there, Paul Goble. And it just didn't feel like the right thing last minute to kind of stab him in the back, albeit that I would have maybe wanted to. I recognised that was a huge opportunity, but it didn't feel right. It's just a shame that that the process was so prolonged that, you know, if, if I got denied... Early November, I'm sure, Jesus. If the lads had had me on, great, yeah. let's yeah. get ready and go down to Australia sounds great, you know.
1: And how did you feel working with them a the second time? Did you feel more confident? Were you more prepared for it?
0: Yeah, I think. I think the mindset, you know, obviously before this, you know, Memphis was already it was kind of like this unicorn that I that I'd built up since twenty eighteen. So at that point in time, I was, you know, it was quite novel. And it was cool to be at the big events, but it. It wasn't, I, at that point in time, it, I wasn't long-term in it with them. I was, of course, wanted to do a good job and be prepared and be professional. But I was always kind of, you know, yeah, this is a great experience for Memphis. Yeah. Whereas now this, this go-round, I'm, yeah, I'm locked in now. This is me. I'm going to be a travelling coach for the next few years, you know. So, yeah, trying to just learn as much as I can and fortunate that, like you said, we might get talking about the team that's involved and, and to continue to, you know, I'm far from the finished product and a lot to learn nice. coaching and coaching and everything. But yeah, fortunate to be, you know, so close to the top of the game and learning off some great people.
1: And what sort of ranking did the guys have when you started working with them the second time around?
0: So they were two, okay. they were two in the world and... uh so yeah, so it was kinda of like a bit, you know, but daunting. There's and, been yeah,
1: there's been many players stuck at two in the world. Well, been like, many to players. Make the so league. they've
0: no, they've done they've done great and you know, everyone's got facing their own challenges. But yeah, no, are obviously the great, very fortunate now to be number one team in the world. Joe ranked one and Raj two, just with that. It's funny. The reason why they Joe's at one is I think before Davis Cup last year, it was actually Rajiv's idea to s- split one week and play with their Davis Cup partners yeah. just gets get a few matches under the belt. So, oh, yeah, that seems a pretty good idea. So, obviously, Rajiv was to play with Jack Sock, and Jack had got injured at the US Open, so they ended up not playing, but Joe and Neil Skubski had already committed, so they ended up winning San Diego. So, he's a clean 250 points ahead of Rajiv in the rankings. So, that's, you know, and that's been that's been a real shame, I think
1: maybe Rajiv should play one 250 tournament
0: yeah maybe so but then again it'll it'll work in the inverse right because Joe's San Diego points will drop off and whatever else so but yeah so it's it's funny and I think I think actually Joe handled it really well you know recognizing that it's because he's got a lot of the attention for it right you know as soon as the number one name is solely beside your name you're the you're the focus which is not easy I think for Rajiv as well Mm -hmm. played you know 98% the part of that and and Joe would admit that so so yeah so that was kind of lucky and unlucky.
1: So tell us about the team what sort of team do the world's best doubles team have around them?
0: Well so I mean like I'm kind of the traveling coach let's say and then Louis Kaye from the LTA side is kind of the consultant head coach who really is the you know, he's dubbed the, the mastermind or the doubles guru. And, and I would go one further into that. He's just the tennis guru. He's, he's not really limited to doubles. He's, he's fantastic. And I think that's been proven by, you know, Emma's. Interest in working with him, Emiratkanu, and and he's had his hand in in a lot of people's games throughout through many Brits
1: are in the top hundred. Was uh, there eight no, or nine at one stage in yeah, the main, there, male? I'm not yeah,
0: sure. This, yeah, in, in doubles alone. Yeah. yeah, there was there was a shed load. But when you know Bambo was playing, and you know a few of them have, have kind of retired. Bam and Dom Inglot now, but Ken Skupski too, recently retired. But yeah, the, you know he's had his his hand in in all that pretty comprehensive CV going. In, you yeah. know ahead of that with his work in in tennis camp. And,
1: uh, we have had him on the podcast so i'll include a link to okay. it below he just landed in new york um, okay. at the us open last year and he was jumped on the phone re- and it was real he wouldn't probably be the most techie person in the world and we we're having tech issues after when he sending me the file yeah and uh, yeah it was really it's a great like you could see the knowledge was yeah, there and yeah
0: he's he, if there's one thing that that he brings such certainty and it's hard right because you know you you know, you obviously want to emulate great coaches, and he's just got, you know, 30 plus years of experience, and he's, you know, got his own formula and views on it. But there's invariably, there's always a fact with him. You know, he gives a gives an answer, gives a fact. And, you know, I think if I'm to comment on one of my failings as a coach is, just, yeah, I, it almost came about as, as a tennis player, just feeling a bit insecure and whether I belonged. You know, I'm talking to, you know, the number one team in the world and, jeez, am I a little bit ahead of my depth here. Yeah. And, you know,
1: like... The I imposter think, syndrome. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I, I think, I'm sure people feel that in all sorts of facets of life. But, but, yeah, part of me is kind of like, God, you know, yeah, do I trust it in just the tone? But he's just, for not really like a player, let's say you know, he, he wouldn't have achieved like yeah what I what other guys have achieved on the court in terms of playing ability, but, but the manner in which he sees the game and the certainty in how he delivers it and how he communicates because ultimately that's all it comes down to, right? How how he delivers the the message across and he is phenomenal at that.
1: And even what I found interesting obviously he gets results out of play. If you do what he tells you, you're gonna get yeah, results. Yeah. So I'm sure I need to call him at some stage. Yeah, no, he, but, he is but, He's it's, fabulous, yeah. When he landed in New York that time, he was saying he, had, he was going off to the courts and he was working with like eight or nine different teams that day. And yeah. they are all, like they all met, to make sure everybody gets their slots. Like most coaches work with one player.
0: I know, and yeah, he's got, he, he's got a huge amount and he's got his own little hierarchy. So he kind of, yeah, he, try, he tries to fit everyone in, but if, you know, there's a conflict with whoever... Then invariably it'll be the higher ranked player that will get priority.
1: So when Jamie calls, you get the bump over Jamie. do Well,
0: you? yeah, actually, I think their relationship is somewhat strained a little bit. They've kind of drifted okay. a little bit the past few years. I'm, I'm not sure actually what happened, but
1: maybe with Jamie's rank and as his rank goes down, well, his other interest. It's yeah, just,
0: I don't know, but I think they they still have. It's very amicable now, but but I think uh, I mean it might be tough, you know, if you, if you know
1: you've been there you've been, for been
0: some there and you've been the priority and then all of a sudden you're not and then you kind of oh, screw you you know yeah,
1: yeah I can see it so okay so there's yourself there's Louis so myself
0: from from the LTA side then Joe's got strength and conditioning coach Ollie Fells. then he's got Danny uh, who's kind of physio Justin Shearing who's Joe's kind of long long term coach since he was you know a youngin'. Uh,
1: Would he be based just at the local club or Yeah he's
0: it? at uh, Weybridge Tennis okay. so he's, he's he had um, he had Jack Draper at a young age he was Jack Draper's coach so he's had his hand in, in a lot of developing a lot of great players so again you know just great people to, to have on the sidelines yeah. and to be brushing shoulders with and and, and chatting in between yeah. points and momentum and you know all that kind of stuff you know so there's always there's always learning opportunities around them, and then on Rajiv's side, he's got a, a good friend of his, Chris Eaton, okay. um, who English guy, yeah, English guy, yeah, yeah is co- college coach in the states, and and yeah, just travelled with John Piers, and I think he was with Jamie mostly with John, and then he was with Conton and Piers for a while, and then he took his role, but played played a high level yeah. himself. I don't know his full bio, but I think he's won a couple of rounds at Wimby, Dubs and whatever else. So, you know, he's no scrub. And then Rajiv also has um, long-term coach Brian, who's back in Indiana where Rajiv was originally from. So they're kind of all the moving parts.
1: Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. How how do you manage someone? There's a lot of moving parts there and obviously there's a focus on two players. I know there's a focus on two players and the team. Yeah. But do you have a big WhatsApp group? that well, keeps yeah, so, everybody up to date yeah
0: invariably invariably so yeah I just reach out on occasion I, I kind of chat to maybe Chris the most about Rajiv and, and just get his thoughts on on previous matches or, or whatever it may be and then Louis and I would have a, a fairly healthy stream of communication yeah. just partly because I, I want to learn so much from yeah. him so so yeah so he'll he'll constantly kind of challenge and, and doing a few reports post match and you know highlighting any areas that you know anything that we've addressed in practice and it was particularly good that day highlighting it so the guys have it in their head that they've done good and it's just constant little reminders yeah. you know the guys know how to play tennis like
1: <laughs> yeah i say the whole the challenging from louis can be tough but that's where you probably learn the most exactly he's asking yeah. a question you're like oh god yeah, no, so good. You're,
0: you're put on the spot a lot which is which is good you know if you want Bit of juice, you got to squeeze the squeeze the orange, squeeze the lemons. So, so yeah, that's one of his. He's quoted for saying that at many a conference. Yeah, he's he's a great influence to have.
1: And tell me, so you're just freshly wounded from Wimbledon. Yeah, five match points. Yeah, you had. Just tell us what it's like sitting in the box and when your guys are out there. And blown these match points. And not they probably weren't blown them; they were yeah. taken out of their hands. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: it's t- and it's it's kind of it's been too on the bounce now. You know, we had a few match points in the quarters of the French Open as well. So that that you know then that hurts. And I think for most, you know, obviously, you know, you know, semis of a Grand Slam is is a great achievement. But but I think the position that we we put ourselves in and, and, and the team that we think we are. You know, falling, falling short is not what we want to do. So it's, it's, it's a shame. Obviously, I think the guys are hurting no more than all the team are hurting. It was, it was tough to watch when you miss those opportunities and you feel like they deserve it. And, you know, they're a little bit unfortunate how a few of the points unfolded. And credit to the, to the Aussies, they faced a lot of match points en route. And, um, you know, in the first round, I think they saved three and, and they fought hard. So all of a sudden, I'm kind of like, again, I'm pointing the finger at myself. She's, how can I, you know, should I have addressed that? You know, I mean, like they're well calloused, they're dogged lads, you know, it's not over until it's over, you know, like, you know, I kind of just always tend not to try and, you know, even the guys will say that they want me to be tougher on them. Yeah. And that's maybe just a part of my nature. I kind of feel like I'm a bit of a positive guy and empathize with them because I was I was a very critical, you know, like we all can be very critical player. And I think one of the big inroads that I made was last year. I I was very fortunate to play Davis Cup for Ireland again. During COVID, I picked up a load of different things. And I came across a phase. And it was actually a trading, like I did this kind of trading course. And this guy talked about mental posture. And I'd never really heard the term. And I kind of thought, geez, that was a great term. You know, it kind of stuck with me for some reason. And he was kind of like, don't take, you know, It was a little bit of a community and, you know, you put the trade on, you deserve, you know, you did the right thing, you know, consult, own the trade, don't like have a locus of control, have self-compassion, learn from it, move on. If you made a bad trade, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there's, I sent, I sent a bit of this to, as a guy in Ireland, Rory O'Hanlon, his keen tennis player and very, very successful cardiologist. And you know, he, he like-minded, kind of just all about kind of self-improvement yeah. and just, you know, manages his minutes. He's a busy guy, you know. All, he's got 20 MRI reports to write day, And a very inspirational geezer, really. So we kind of had a few of these, these chats with him. He just, one of the mornings I was having a hit with him, he was like, you know, it's like, it's like all these self-help books. It all comes back to one equation. E plus R equals O. Event plus reaction equals the outcome. And that was, that was quite powerful. So then later in the day, and I think this would be a big cornerstone of my, my philosophy, I think, going forward. I was having a session with another kid, and the kid should be beating me, right? I'm not moving particularly well, particularly in a singles court. It's, it's not a pretty sight. So, but anyway, I'm competing. He should win in three. We're playing just a silly game, first ball cross, play it to seven or whatever it may be. So I'm kind of hanging around and sneak a set or two. and Anyway. Find myself in, in the fifth set, the deciding set. And he literally plays the dream point. Constructs it perfectly, finishes with a great winner, everything that you'd want to drop. So the event was obviously really good, right? He played the dream point, but his reaction he wasn't grounded in reality in that mo- moment because his his reaction, albeit he said, come on, he said it in such a, a tone that he was actually like rooted in frustration because in his head it shouldn't have gone to five sets. And it shouldn't have. but it is that's the reality so then positive event negative reaction albeit that his words were come on but like really like from a frustration yeah yeah really stemmed in kind of anger and frustration and then he plays a couple terrible points to follow that up and I was like that's exactly what Rory talked about this morning you know so I'm often very good cop (laughs) when I'm kind of doing the debrief with the lads and I kind of have a lot of like you know, have self-compassion, you know, because they would be highly critical. And to a certain degree, that's landed them where they are yeah. now. But I think maybe there's there's scope f- to reframe and actually be almost proud of... And there's a difference between being proud and being complacent, I think, being proud of what they achieved and cutting themselves a bit of a break. You know, tennis isn't perfect. It's never going to be. And, and I think if you're going to be negative at a few things and you're not happy with a few elements yeah. of your game in practice, well, at least hit me with some positive stuff when you're doing some good stuff. Invariably, like, they do some great things and they're like, oh, that's, what it, that's how it should be. I'm like, no, it shouldn't. If you're going to be negative when you're negative, it'll be positive when you're, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of how I feel. So so often the guys kind of tell me off for being maybe a little bit too nice.
1: <laughs> Nothing wrong with being too nice. I'm sure Louis coming in with the bad stuff. <laughs> so sometimes you're a Lou, yeah.
0: Maybe we compliment but each other well.
1: I'm sure, I, I think any successful athlete will be self-critical and that's what gets them there. But I'm sure yeah. it's the one who, understands that and can move on like you yeah. say understand it better they get to stay there a bit longer
0: yeah yeah so i hope that's kind of what i bring to the team you know i think there was a great event to just finish that story when i when i played davis cup so we were in the the final match bear in mind i hadn't played a match hadn't really played at all i played mm. one or two club matches in the uk and that was about it and my preparation so you know a little it's bit a good of, call up yeah good, yeah so just, yeah <laughs> so why was it? i wasn't you know so, I knew mentally I had to be very good because I hadn't put the work in kind of physically or, you know, I hadn't certainly wasn't the player that I previously was when I took to the court. So, I knew mentally I had to be trying to be very good. So, in this particular occasion, and it's probably what I'm most proud of, albeit that Ireland got promoted and whatever else, and that was fantastic. But in this little mini crisis, we were setting a break up. We'd just broken. Who were you playing with? So I was playing with Simon Carr okay. against Georgia uh, for promotion. So this is in the World Group 3 for playoff. So for third place. Great week. So I'm, you know, I'm obviously at this point in time I'm not working with Joan Rajiv but I've had the experience of working with a top team in the world so I'm kind of You know, leading the chat at the change of ends, and I'm kind of all right. You know, it's my serve now, two one up. Let's consolidate. Let's, you know, first serve here. Don't invite pressure. So, you know, of course, what I do, miss my first serve. I miss a volley. Okay, okay, no worries. We get this one. First serve, high percentage. You know, like we talked about. I miss a firm. Simon misses a volley. Okay, so then, you know, here I am staring in the barrel of thirty, and. Miss another first serve. But actually in that moment, that was the first one that actually felt good. So felt good. And as I hit it, I was like, oh, that one was good. That was good, though. So then that just totally shifted my mindset then actually stepping up to hit a second serve. Whereas my previous playing self would have been like, oh, you've ruined it. You know, you've missed three first serves in a row. Way to invite pressure and roll out the red carpet, invite them back into the match, da da But in that moment, I I, I was objective, I hit a good serve. So then how did I feel actually stepping up to hit my second serve? Quite good, actually. So the event, albeit, was negative, right? I missed my first serve, but my reaction was good. And then the outcome was good because then I feel good and hit a good second serve. So then 15.30, good first serve, 30 all, good first serve, 40.30, good first serve game. And that was just like in that moment that was almost like revolutionary for me and that was just all mindset and i really believe in that actually i think that's i mean you know you you can't be a mental warrior alone and make it you know you obviously have to have you know a bit of help did you win yeah we won it yeah so we got we got promoted and it, it was brilliant but yeah for me that was like it was almost like a culmination of the past few, few months of what I'd almost been through and learned, what I'd managed. And, and yeah, and that was a, a significant moment for me.
1: And I think this is a two-tier question. It just goes back to what you said earlier about come back here. There should be guys that should be able to beat you. You know, yeah. you, What's it like when you do come back here and you're playing guys and you're like, I'm still winning matches here Like we are yeah. on the practice court. Are you surprised or disappointed um, that... There's nobody here that's raising the bar. I won't say nobody, that's a bit harsh, but there's not as many as yeah, there should be. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, yeah, I guess it's just, it's all cyclical, right? Like, I think Tennis Ireland are, are bringing in, you know, a new player development pathway for for the younger kids, which I think is great. And I think I think back to my age group when I was growing up and I had the, like, you know, a lot of people in, in Irish, you know, you had Morgan Dunn, Kluski... There was a good McGee, group, of, you know, like uh, a lot of Darren McLaughlin, you know, a load of lads, Tristan Farman. Like there was a shed load of lads ahead of us. They were just like, geez, Irish own Heavy, Like the depth is yeah. there. Like a lot of good players coming through. And then yeah, I mean, I, I I've kind of I don't I kind of lost touch with Irish tennis yeah. a little bit. I'm I'm just not around to know even who's coming through. Or I'm a bit of a vested interest in Conor Gannon just because I hit with them when yeah. I'm back in town. And 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 that's all I really know. And um, you've
1: influenced Connor to go and to uh, Memphis. Yeah, and
0: I've influenced him, so he's now yeah going to going to my alma mater, go, going to be a Tiger at Memphis.
1: Because so, he was previously Tennessee. We had in the podcast as well, and he told us his story. There It was a tough plane, like at six, and not every week you're playing. And, yeah, tough. And tough the coach was sounded like a tough job as well. Yeah,
0: so I think yeah, it's he's going to be in for hopefully a better experience at Memphis, but. But yeah, I think that, you know they're 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 a big time program at Tennessee, and, and and if you're not putting in the work as they see fit, then you know you're going to be you're going to be challenged, and, and you know I think I think that's a good learning experience for him, and yeah. I hope he can actually channel that and use that and bring that to Memphis to some degree. Um,
1: and we're going to end this with obviously you've been you've seen tennis of all levels now. You're at the top of the world's doubles game. What? what ultimately can you teach or can you say to juniors and maybe to parents as well that could that you've learned the past few years Um, could make a little difference to their tennis moving forward
0: well I think you know maybe as a you know if it's a young kid and a tennis parent just have like if it's a big goal and they want to play professionally like I think don't think short term think longer term you know I think everyone is kind of like maybe hell bent on results at twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen when I think you know if if you really want your kid to stay in the game long term or to afford a great opportunity to a college in the states like it only really matters when you're seventeen eighteen right like I think don't sacrifice well i mean sacrifice but i th- i wouldn't I wouldn't zone in on just results I would try and encourage. If I had a kid, I would trying to encourage him to play the right way and, and lose the right way, but at least he's trying to do the right things, like not trying to create bad habits and push the ball or guide or you know. I think tr- trying to be the player that he wants to be and, and, and what, the player that he is in practice and trying to bring that, you know, that's the best way to try and. To me, I actually I don't even like the word practice now. I think what's the better word? I feel like practice should be just like creating better habits. I feel like it, that's that's what transfers over into the match court
1: you see that directly where Yeah,
0: I see that like just build building better habits, that's what's going to that's what's going to impact on the match court better than anything else.
1: So yeah, every decision you make so on the practice court Yeah,
0: that's trying to yeah, I think trying to yeah.
1: It's a bit like see people they miss an easy ball on the practice court and yeah. the coach be like why did you miss that And place like oh it doesn't matter but turns out but, in the match you might miss yeah, that.
0: exactly. So I think it's all it's it's trying to bring that that perspective maybe I think relinquishing the significance of results and how you play, and and more focused on like actually building better habits to be a better player later down the line. If that's the goal, I and mean, if the goal is just to have fun, well then get out and have fun and, yeah. and do have whatever fun. you want to do. You know, I, I absolutely. But if if there's a tennis parent listening, I I would you know cuz i think everyone's got a story of they've seen either when they were playing as a younger kid and there was a parent watching and they're heavily involved and whatever else and i think that's just i think everyone everyone doesn't want to be if i was a parent i wouldn't want to be that parent to my son i would like to let them let them go and play and and you know there's there's i think that's the great thing about tennis that it you know there's so much that you can learn about yourself in between four lines and fail so often. And I think I think to all my peers that, that I grew up playing tennis with, and they've all been really successful in other spheres of life because tennis taught, taught them how to be kind of accustomed to failure. And I think that's actually a really valuable asset <laughs> that, yeah. that no. a lot of people don't get exposed to. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the reality of tennis. You, really get,
1: you get punched in the face every week.
0: You get punched <laughs> in the face and there's one winner every week and, 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 and there's no such thing as perfection out there. And I think you can strive for excellence, sure but perfection doesn't exist.
1: And let's leave it there. That's a good one to leave You can try, but But no, thanks, Dave. I look forward to following up maybe in a couple of years' time when to see where the journey goes from there. Fingers crossed, yeah, Yeah. I hope so. Great, well, thanks a lot. Cheers, Fab.